at the end of the day, data quality isn't an issue of a piece of a tool or software. It's it's predominantly an issue of, of those who build the data, design it, and then use it. So when when we have humans involved and when there, things are changing, you're always going to have data quality issues. Welcome to the Distributed Truth Podcast. Today's B2B SaaS teams all share one thing in common, fragmented customer data. Marketing, sales, customer success, finance, and product teams need better approaches to unified customer data. What does it look like to be data-driven rather than data-inhibited? What is the link between investing in unified customer data and revenue growth? How can we create consistent customer experiences through unified customer data? Join us here at the Distributed Truth Podcast as we interview a wide array of go-to-market revenue operations, technology, and data leaders, all dedicated to solving the problem of fragmented customer data. Hello and welcome to the Distributed Truth Podcast. This is Evan Dunn with Syncery, and I'm here with Richard Makara, CEO and co-founder of Reconfigured.io. Richard, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Good to see you, Evan. What's up? Good to see you as well. Richard, tell me a little bit. You're you're a total data nerd building a, a data product um, helps people edit SQL for uh, improved data models, better data quality. Um, how did you learn so much about go-to-market and commercial teams? You, you can talk pretty fluently on it, as people will hear later, but uh, tell us a bit about your background and how you got that dual-sided expertise. Yeah, for sure. Happy to. Um... So I'm originally a marketer, um, nowadays again, a marketer, but I started my career in event operations, basically. Um, my job was to run these localized pop-up conferences around the world. Um, in B2B SaaS, that's always where I had my roots. And when you're doing localized pop-up conferences around the world, sooner than later, they start asking you questions like, where are the leads? What is the ROI? Um, is there any point in you flying around the world? So basically I had to get into, uh, well, I had to learn how to move my <laughs> contacts in the event platform into Salesforce, into HubSpot. And again, working in, in startups, like there wasn't really anyone looking after that. So it was on me to figure out how that works. That was my first intro into HubSpot, Salesforce. Um, didn't know what the hell I was doing, but clickety-clack and sooner than later I managed to move some stuff around. Um, fast forward a few years I sort of stumbled more and more into the technical side of, of operations, rebuilt a couple of HubSpot instances, built the connections like one-to-one -one connection between HubSpot and Salesforce, hated that. I built the wackiest Frankenstein you've ever seen um, just trying to get sort of like the account and lead and contact piece to work in any way. Um, whole story of its own. But as, as I progressed in my career, I also started sort of diving into software engineering concepts. I built some stuff on top of Clearbit that was really interesting. But my last full-time job was at a company called Paddle. It's a B2B fintech a payment infrastructure company from, from the UK. And I was part of the revenue operations team under the title growth engineer. Um, at Paddle, that was a, a special kind of revenue operations team. But um, my job effectively was to build, maintain, and design the entire commercial data stack. Um, 
So basically, how do we connect all the tools? How do we make it so that it's sensible, so that the sales marketing success teams have the data they need without actually messing everything up? Um, and re having rebuilt this stack once already, I had to do it the second time, unfortunately. The C CDP we were using was Sunset, rest in peace, hull.io. And at that point in time, the, all the rage was modern data stack. I, I had read everything about it. I was convinced I needed a five-trend warehouse, uh, reverse ETL. I, well, it, it, it's a good setup still, but I had to figure out how to do it. And I had found all these components for it that did the work for me. Uh, five-trend, I didn't need to write any, a single ETL script. Warehouse, Snowflake, I don't have to maintain any infrastructure. Great. Reverse ETL, same thing. But when I got to the actual data modeling part, which is how do we put this together? How do we design it so it works for our use case? That's where I stumbled on DBT and realized I had to learn SQL. I had to learn data modeling, data engineering. Uh, to be quite honest with you, I fucking hated it. Um, I came from a imperative programming world like JavaScript, TypeScript, Python, where I just, I just tell the machine to do something, one, two, three, four. But with SQL, I had to learn how to think in 15 tables at the same time. I still struggle with that. So out of that and me asking my childhood best friend, Nico, a bunch of stupid questions on SQL, that's where the idea of Reconfigured came about. But also where like it's the path to sort of moving from actual uh, marketer into operations and then eventually now into diving into the data space myself. Yeah, it's interesting. I, th I appreciate the, the background. Thank you, Richard. You mentioned HubSpot to Salesforce uh, being super painful. I mean, that's most people's, you know, marketing automation and CRM stack. Why is it so painful if it's so common? They were built for separate purposes, and you can see the way the architecture still reflects the current state of both products. Um, but on a meta level, fundamentally, HubSpot and Salesforce don't care about each other. The integrations exist because they have to, but HubSpot doesn't care about Salesforce being you know, populated properly and Salesforce doesn't care about HubSpot. So the integration is there to move data, but it's not there to move context. And context, again, is, is what makes these tools uh, so powerful, right? It's, it's not like you spin up a Salesforce instance and, and it's magically great. You actually have to put some thought design uh, into it. You have to figure out how the automation works, which parts are automated, which aren't. So when it com came to like HubSpot and Salesforce, for example, my biggest issue was that HubSpot predominantly contact-led. In Salesforce, we had two objects, leads and contacts, but the company was B2B. We're selling on a company level. Everything is really measured on company and opportunity level, but all the marketing stuff was happening and stamped on um, contact. Okay, granted at the time, I didn't know how events worked or that I needed to have separate ledgers for things like marketing qualified lead, sales qualified lead, blah, blah, blah. But I, I, I had to build this wacky workflow setup where um, depending on some updates in Salesforce, I would update the status in HubSpot and then update that on a company level just so I could have a um, 
like one-to-one map on on like prospect statuses, right? Um, otherwise, we were sending like product emails to churn customers or whatever. What what else we were doing? It it just wasn't working. So like I had to figure out how that, how that worked, and it was not fun. <laughs> and it, at the end of the day, it didn't really work. So. Yeah, I think that's important. You pointed out something that I, I think a lot of people, um, it, it would benefit a lot of people to think through that when you have a little data issue, like um, a single field is off on a contact, it can produce touch points and experiences that are really not desirable. And one turn off like that, you know, getting a product email when you're churned to customers, like get out of my inbox, right? The just makes the bad sentiment worse. You might say, well, they're a churn customer, but imagine if it happens to an existing customer where you send them a goodbye email. <laughs> Something, yeah. you know, like, um, there's a lot of ways um, this can go deeply wrong, or you send like, the investor a update to you know, your, your prospect list. Uh, was it like just a couple of, uh, some weeks ago, I got an email from, 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 some, from a vendor saying like, um, you, we're gonna charge you a shit ton more. <laughs> and then a day later, I was like, "Ah, oh, sorry, no, um, that was <laughs> our bad. We're not actually going to charge you <laughs> extra. Uh, no panic." But like, it's, it's things like that that go, "Oh no, what, what did I do?" <laughs> um, yeah. Well, and your immediate reaction, right, is I'm going to go see who your competitors are on G2, and if I have a viable alternative, right? Um, <laughs> um, yeah, you can lose a lot of business that way. And just maybe it's like continue um, on, on like yeah, go ahead. Yeah, just just like nerd out a bit more on on the like integration part. Like it's it's one thing when you have two two systems, just like a one to one between HubSpot and Salesforce. The vast majority of us will have several go to market systems for specific purposes, and that's when you run into like race conditions. Um, and that that's really where things go haywire um, when you have fee- like downstream fields dependent on the middle step that are dependent on the, another step, <laughs> um, and it gets really really tricky to debug where the issue is. Not to mention if you have automation built to update those same fields in in various systems, you're you're really going to have a bad time most of the time. Pausing. I'm going to mark 935. I'm going to put low data mode on and turn off our video. And then I think our we'll have a little bit less lag. All right. Let's try that. Starting at 10 again. Yeah, Richard, one of the other things we've chatted about um, on Slack and other places is you know, the problem of data quality in, um, uh, you know, product and GTM systems. I mean, it, it may seem benign, banal, it might might seem overplayed, but it's still a big problem. And, um, you know, so silly question, maybe silly answer, but but uh, why is that the case? Do you, any abstract level ideas you could put forward there? At the end of the day, data quality isn't an issue of a piece of a tool or software. It's it's predominantly an issue of of those who build the data, design it, and then use it. So, 
when when we have humans involved and when the things are changing you're always going to have data quality issues um, we are unpredictable beings and we can never expect every single person to behave in the same way let's take a concrete example you have uh, a, a bunch of tools to scrape data out of sales uh, linkedin sales navigator you know the the company names the sort of like what your industry and your size currently um, specifically in the company name people will write whatever um, sometimes they'll write the full name sometimes it's the uh, legal name on the website field maybe you'll have a random um, subdomain with the slash english slash about me page like people will add um yeah the data input is will never be uniform and you will always have some form of data issues and the same applies then on on the actual like process input side like when you have uh, salesforce opportunities and you have certain medic medpig stages that you uh, or fields that you need populated you can't expect every single person to always populate them in the way you want it to, unfortunately. <laughs> so any, anytime there's a humans involved, I guess that there'll be data issues. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. I think the um, data issues in, in my opinion is actually somewhat of a culprit in the recent uh, sort of um, inefficient go-to-market scrutiny of SaaS mm. startups, right? I think that, um, well, let's maybe step back, right? The, we, we, a couple of months back, we started asking this question, who owns customer data, right? And data quality community said um, product and data teams and LinkedIn sales marketing people said RevOps, right? So no surprises. But the, it articulates what you pointed out in other conversations we've had, this sort of commercial versus engineering or go-to-market versus product chasm, if you will. Why does that exist and should it exist? Why it exists, I'm, I'm not, not sure. Um, it does have, like, not, not only on, on like go-to-market or operations versus data teams, it, it kind of like if stems, uh, not stems, if you look back on, on the classic division of a organization. You have the commercial org and you have engineering. For some reason, this is the way we split things at like, at the very top, it splits into engineering and commercial. So that's your first point of, 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 of splitting. Um, so then when you start going downstream, like where does the data team sit? Well, if it sits on the data uh, engineering side, it's, it's much easier to be divided and far away from the commercial side because you're not beholden to the goals of the other team right you have engineering goals um, what I've sort of there's been an interesting setups that I've been part of um, for example at, at paddle where my role I had so I basically had an analytics engineering slash engine data engineering role under the RevOps organization which then forced me to, to sort of like do all the work, but for the commercial side. So that's like, my incentives were in, in, the, in place. I needed to support the go-to-market teams with this type of uh, data infrastructure flows, various automation. Um, yeah, you go, you, you go on, follow-up question. 
Yeah, no, I, I think that is interesting. You mentioned you were sort of data engineering analytics under RevOps. We've had two conversations recently that will get published. One, actually, we just released Andy Mowat, right, who ran RevOps at um, uh, Box and CultureAmp, who hired his own BI data engineering resources into RevOps. And Tony Holbein of Groblocks out of Copenhagen, um, similarly in his past role, um, leading RevOps, or actually a couple orgs, I think, you know, hired um, uh, the same kind of capabilities, right? But but is that enough? My question for the market is, you know, RevOps is really popular. Some RevOps leaders, not all, are hiring data expertise to their teams, but you still have these deeply entrenched data teams and data expertise that become very large very quickly, sometimes with great reason, right? Um, mm -hmm. But then the go-to-market teams need help. They need data help, data quality help. They need, you know, visualization, dashboarding, reporting help. How often do you see them getting it from data teams unless they import these essentially foreign resources onto their teams? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it, it does. There's... um. Well, one, like for, for first point, like depending on the scale and of the organization, you will inevitably have like very centralized teams that somehow talk to each other. Then you have probably more resources. You can act, you have formalized process to actually ask for things. Then you'll get the support, but it might just like takes a formal process, right? Um, this is where the joke comes from. Like, I, I need a new column into my analytics data set and it takes me two weeks for data engineering to come back. Um, at the same time... Hold on. I had a, I had a, a very important point, which I've now f forgotten regarding this. No, that's all right. I think it's, um, <laughs> um, oh, baby's waking up. So this will be fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, hold, hold it. Let's, let's go back. It was, it was a train of thought so, on, um, yeah, once you pick it up, we can just, I can cut out. Um, yeah, no, it, I, I think I'm, it's it's hard to gauge when because um, I can't see you, so it's it's hard hard to know where we're at. I know. Uh, uh, let's let's redo the question. I think it will come back. Um, yeah. So um, the yeah RevOps teams um, sometimes exist and sometimes have the wherewithal to import data resources to their teams, right? Um, the, this works in larger organizations, but especially for smaller and growth stage SaaS, that it feels like a band-aid, right? On a chasm that maybe doesn't need to exist organizationally, right? Um, data teams sprout up under the product and engineering org so that, um, you can analyze tons of product data typically, right? Or do elegant, uh, orchestrations within the product itself. But uh, how do we um, how do we help organizations build a better, more efficient future around data? Right between 
the very pressing needs of data quality and BI in the go-to-market scenarios versus the yeah, typical actually, I, historical data mandate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so there's 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 something that uh, my co-founder Nico made made me realize not 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 that many weeks ago, but when there's there's typically two types of data teams and they get confused as one. Like you'll ha they'll have the same title, head of data. They'll have, you know, data scientist, data engineer, um, but they'll be the purpose is is very different, right? A lot of companies will start and will have their product data teams. And those teams are working on powering the actual product with whatever data is needed um, from simple sort of like cleans and transformations, analytics, events, down to some form of machine learning algorithms. Like, And separately, then you'll, you'll at some point probably start building out this like BI team, basically. And oft, often, I guess, like when you start off there's not resource to do both and the line it's they're not they're sort of like mashed into one so then it, it kind of makes sense why there's mm -hmm. it's it's hard for those teams to actually then start supporting or have motivation to support the <laughs> the commercial side because they've it's not their purpose right so basically you kind of have to from the top down have this motivation to start a data team preferably after product market fit of course but they don't just kind of happen on their own. Somebody somewhere at the top needs to go and say, look, we need to power our go-to-market with data and we're going to put time and effort into it. We're not going to throw a random data scientist at the problem. And if we are, then we're probably doing something wrong. But then sort of like actually getting into the mindset of learning some of these concepts and building the team around that. Mm. That's that's perhaps something I've 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 seen and experienced where yeah. it's there's a confusion like the, the, there's two data types of data teams and they have the same name but they're totally different purposes. Yeah, yeah, I think that's very apt way of thinking about it. Is what's the goal you're trying to achieve with data? Is it you know um, the instrumentation orchestration of your product itself, right? And just the analysis of the product, there, there are so many ways to analyze product behavior. I think that gets underappreciated by go-to-market teams, right? Um, and that is just deeply valuable, though it, it should be reflected on that if you're like an enterprise SaaS product and you don't have a ton of users, that might not be the place to build up your first data team. It might be more around business intelligence and data quality for go-to-market, right? But now we've just named three domains. We've got this like product data orchestration. We've got BI reporting and analysis for strategy, so decision support for the C-suite, mm -hmm. and we've got go-to-market data quality, right? And I totally agree that what I've seen in two hypergrowth unicorns was the data team just got handed the BI mandate from the top because, well, they're the data people. It, it really comes down to something that simple. And we, in the go-to-market marketer here, right, um, we would just use HubSpot, Salesforce dashboards. I would pull up DataBox for my top funnel stuff, which is very mm -hmm. separate from like person level analytics anyway, but you get the point, right? You kind of make it work yeah. as a go-to-market person, right? Because um, you just don't yeah. have... And, and, and dashboards would get produced in Tableau that I would never use, right? Because um, it's just not detailed enough. This, 
this is where we get into the fun stuff, right? The GTM teams and GTM operation teams are always, pretty much always outcome driven. They have pressure to get stuff done and get stuff out of the door. There's clear consequences. Um, did, did we improve our pipeline? Did sales velocity go forward? Did like, are we able to produce more leads? Where do we lack? Where, what's our uh, prediction look like? Maybe on the BI side, it's, it's slightly more chill. I wouldn't say chill because they, they are also very, very overstaffed. Most of them, um, people come with half-baked requests and they don't explain the actual business context to them properly. Um, but I, I, I digress, right? The, the sort of like outcome-driven, I need things now is, is very typical in go-to-market data. And, and now that you mentioned sort of building reports in HubSpot because you just had to. Somebody will then at some point show up and say, look, your data is wrong, but won't actually help you fix it. And anyway, at that point in time, you're like, well, that was last month. I have new problems now. But what I'd like to actually talk about is, is why is it hard to report on some of these go-to-market tools? And it's something I, I think clicked for me yesterday when we were going through like the technical map of, of the product we're building, how we need to structure sort of events and history and how do we map things. Anyway, I digress. My point being, when you do reporting in, in, in go-to-market tools, the reports are always about right now. What is the situation right now? You create your pipeline reports, like we have this many open opportunities, this many in the middle stage and this many about to close, um, but it doesn't sort of tell you doesn't have like this way to look back. And the reason why a lot of these systems struggle with that is, is, is two, twofold. You have this idea of a record. So like uh, reconfigured the company, it has an ID, it has a name, and then maybe some fields like customer status or whatever. And then there's these uh, events, these activities that happened important in time, like it became a lead, became a sales qualified lead, whatever, whatever, whatever. And when you do reporting, you're always looking at the current state of the record. So my customer status may, may have already changed, but you're trying to do a report on like past performance. Whereas what you needed to actually look at is the, the set of events, but then the status of my record needs to be what it was at the time of the event. And this is what a lot of these like Salesforce's HubSpot struggle. And it, it, it's fair, they, they are not event streaming event record systems they are built to hold records and be productivity tools for sales at the end of the day that's what a crm is it's it's not a place to store your records it's to be more efficient i mean yeah you covered a lot of ground there richard and this is i think really valuable for our listeners i guess the the thing that you have to wonder about is um we mentioned that executives need to think, need to, they don't need to learn the nuances of what data teams do. It's more they need to think about the natural chasm that exists if they hand the mandate to one side of the GTM product equation. You know, we at Syncery, we argue very strongly that you got to think about the customer data layer holistically, right? Because product is very much part of the customer experience. It's in a sense, when someone's using your product, is very much part of go-to-market, right? You can do triggers and engagement and automation um, based out of it that should be tied to marketing and sales activity and definitely CS, right? Health scores, automated, stuff like that. Um, so it is. it, it should feel dissonant f 
for that um, structure that's so inherent to so many companies to have product have all the data resources and mm. try to throw stuff over the wall to go to market. And I don't think it's working for data teams either. We, you know, we interviewed Pedro no. Navid and he said many similar things about needing to attach to business value. Like, think about think about this way. Um, if if you're on the product management side, um, you're in charge of like feature adoption, building new things, then throwing usage against it. Um, effectively, what it says is like you need to design events. But if if you do not have any notion from <laughs> like the go to market side, like the customers, like what the businesses are. It can be kind of hard to design the sort of meaningful events that you need that would actually be helpful not only to your feature adoption, but then to understand whether this adoption leads to revenue, whether this is something that people want to buy or refer. Um, and and in even there, sort of like when you think about it, a product is basically a database, a custom database always. So somebody an engineer needs to design it. Uh, it's a bit too complicated for any go-to-market person to come and say, look, this is like, we're going to do it in this way to serve our future needs. To, to, most of the time, you just need it to work and it needs to be stable. Then the second component of that is products don't naturally collect events. That's why you have products like Mixpanel, PostHog, Amplitude, uh, the CDPs uh, from Snowplow to Segment, Rudderstack. Their whole purpose is to help you like abstract the infrastructure needed in order to collect events, but they still require you or somebody to design those events, right? The, the, they don't magically appear inside of your product saying like, when this button is clicked, um, this means this event, or it means that the free trial is activated. There's a bunch of building components and then somebody else actually has to make sense out of it. That's another huge, huge sort of ground for work that uh, I feel like honestly gets overlooked. And it's also very, very easy to make mistakes there. Again, like if, if, if you have, if you build in events that don't make any sense, you have like millions of raw events that just don't do anything like for every, absolutely every single button click and you don't actually look at where the button click happens, they're pointless. Like, what are you going to do with that? So yeah. Not not only is sort of like would it help to have help from the business side on product to understand what needs to be done. It's also technically easy to um, yeah make mistakes there because it's it's all custom. Like HubSpot, Salesforce, you have very strong guardrails. It's a system, and you build around it. When you, when it comes to product, you actually need to like do custom design, and yeah, it's tough, <laughs> and it affects the entire sort of output. And I guess this is where we get into data quality to some extent. Right, because yeah, I know you're right. There's there's a design exercise on product data model and then how that relates to the marketing sales, CS data models, finance data models, right? Um, so that you can understand a, product, a user account in the context of a closed one customer in the context of a billing entity, right? Um, exactly, and all that has to run together. Um, yeah. So, so last last thought before we wrap up here, Richard, and I really appreciate your time. But it, you know, we've talked a bit about how executives can can help direct or guide the organizations below them into working in harmony. Is there any other like final 
guidance you'd have for whether it's a data leader who wants to attach to business value and own the customer data problem or a, a go-to-market operations person who wants to bridge the gap here, what would you recommend they do? Uh, it's a really tough one. It's a <laughs> stupid answer is that it depends on your situation, but I guess the closer you can get to the actual customer and the part that delivers value to the customer, I, th I think that will probably inform you more than any other mental exercise, right? Like what, like m m the entire premise of, well, the success of my personal career is that I've had experience from both sides and I'm neither just marketer or an engineer. I'm, I'm now sitting in the middle and my only major superpower is that I can talk and understand both sides. So, and the only way I got to that is being able to do both jobs at some point. Very fortunate in that. Um, so I guess the advice there is that if you are curious, if you really want to make that impact, you got to understand the other side, which you are, you know, from where you start to some level. Um, and at least to me, the best way is to kind of just go into the trenches and try to do the job yourself. Thank you, Richard. Thank you so much for your time today. For those who want to continue the conversation, check out our other podcasts at Syncree.com slash Distributed Truth Podcast, or go ahead and check out our new community we just launched, Customer Data Automation Community, where we're going to be having these conversations about the customer data layer, the customer data problem holistically in B2B SaaS. Um, again, Richard Makara, CEO, founder, uh, co-founder, with his childhood friend, uh, Nico, of Reconfigured.io. Check it out. And uh, check out Syncari.com, S-Y-N-C-A-R-I.com. Thanks, folks. Thank you for listening to the Distributed Truth Podcast. Check out our other episodes or visit Syncari.com to learn more about unified customer data. That's S-Y-N-C-A-R-I, Syncari.com. Thank you and have a great day.